Travel confidence has evaporated and borders are being closed. The coronavirus pandemic sweeping the globe is accelerating. It's been a sharp shock and aviation is among the first industries to feel the impact of what this means for our economies. Airlines are rapidly pivoting and governments are moving in to help. That may not be enough though to save many companies from failing. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me, down the line, as this for posterity, I'll say that we are all keeping our distance to record this episode, uh, Kelsey Warner, Future Editor, how are you? Hi, Mustafa, keeping well, how are you? Good. And the Nationals Aviation Correspondent, Dina Camel, is also down the line. How are you, Dina? Hi, Mustafa. All good here. Good. Um, Look, I'll get straight to it. Um, You know, the reports are showing that more than 1.5 billion people, about a fifth of the world's population, have been asked to or ordered, have been ordered to stay at home. Um, You know, we're sort of bracing ourselves for, you know, several weeks, um, if not a couple of months of, of of, you know, of this situation in countries right. in the Middle East, in Europe, in the US. Now, the aviation industry has been one of the first to feel the effects of the pandemic. Um, you know, Already, Absolutely. we've had air- airlines reporting what this means. I want to quote um, sh- you know, from here, Sheikh Ahmed bin Saeed, Emirates' group chairman and chief executive. He said, as a global network airline, we find ourselves in a situation where we cannot viably operate passenger services until countries reopen their borders and travel confidence returns. He did vow, though, that Emirates can tackle this challenge and come out stronger. Now, not every carrier around the world um, is feeling quite as bullish. And we've already seen rescue packages in New Zealand, for example, Australia, um, and elsewhere. The UK is currently debating one. And the big one in the US, um, you know, they're, they're currently debating um, a huge, uh, what could be up to $2 trillion or more rescue package for the economy in the US um, with airlines included. So Correct. we're very much at a point where the travel and aviation industry are very worried. Uh, am I right to, to say that, Dina? Yeah, I would uh, say that's that's an understatement. Uh, the, 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 the shock that we are seeing across the airline industry, the word that is being used to describe the situation right now over and over again is that this is unprecedented. This is unlike um, anything that the airline industry has, has seen. And this is very much an industry that is um, resilient, that has bounced back in the past from Um, various uh, catastrophes, uh, everything from, uh, you know, wars to um, SARS epidemic to um, the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Um, And and the industry has managed to recover in sort of, if you imagine, a V-shaped kind of trajectory. Uh, This time, because there is so much uncertainty around when this global um, pandemic will end or be contained or, or recovery in sight. Um, it, it is it is more difficult to make uh, any statements with any kind of certainty around recovery and around um, the shape of the industry once it returns. Dina, I want to frame this because we're sort of on the eve of a hibernation for passenger air travel 
from the Mm -hmm. UAE. So if we can just take a step back, you've been covering what's been going on with Emirates and what's been going on with Etihad. Can you tell us what you're hearing from the airlines and what their plans are going forward starting from March 26th? The airlines are now taking drastic measures to try and contain the effect of um, the coronavirus on on operations. So what started out with uh, trying to reduce the number of of flights as more countries um, started to impose travel bans, they've they've now completely shut down passenger operations um, and are are focused now on on cargo flights only. Uh, So obviously this is a huge blow, um, not just to local airlines, but to, to other global carriers as well as as they make their own plans. So most of the carriers have said that they are that they have plans in place to reallocate resources internally. So for example, uh, Fly Dubai is going to split its uh, its uh, fleet between um, Dubai International Airport and Al Maktoum International Airport, and uh, its fleet of um, 737 next generation aircraft is is going to be uh, is going to be um, given a, a large scale maintenance um, rework. So uh, that's one way that they're dealing with it. However, uh, Fly Dubai CEO Ghaith Al Ghaith has said, similarly to Emirates, that the airline is going to um, get through this and is going to to recover uh, once this is over. Uh, similarly, it's had Airways uh, as well. Um, they are experiencing this. Uh, in the middle of them also going through a turnaround uh, program. And similarly, the Etihad Airways CEO, Tony Douglas, has said that the airline will be able to pull through this and come through um, the other the other side. So the airlines are shuttering down for now their passenger operations, but they seem to be hopeful that once this is contained, um, that travel demand will will come back and that they will be able to to meet that. Uh, perhaps we can spend a little time talking about the people who work for airlines in the aviation industry. We had some grim uh, forecasts uh, and reports, for example, saying that every day one million jobs are being lost in travel and tourism. Now, if we, if we stay with the UAE, for example, um, Emirates has said that they want to protect their workforce, partly because they believe when things pick up, they want to be ready to ramp up, according to Sheikh Ahmed. Um, they, they have instituted salary cuts, though, um, for senior staff in particular. Um, but in general, the workers around the world for the aviation companies and airlines, it depends where you are. I mean, Virgin, for example, Richard Branson himself has stepped in to protect the workforce with a rescue package. But New Zealand, as soon as they put their rescue package in, their national carrier announced workforce layoffs. In Australia, they're trying to protect the jobs. So it really depends in which country you are. But if we are, and and Dina or Kelsey, I mean, the point being, if we are expected to come back, we are expecting a V recovery where it bounces back. It's not easy to get staff back online if you've laid them off. So it feels like layoffs are the wrong thing to do right now for a number of reasons, not least because people are pretty scared. Right. I think what they're looking at is this idea of resilience and what's going to make these companies most resilient to come back and come back quickly. Dina, I don't know if you can talk to us a little bit about what staffing levels were like at Etihad and Emirates and what they've done for their workers in the last week. Sure. So um, 
obviously, as Mustafa pointed out, the situation is going to to differ by by airline and by by region. So obviously, um, carriers in in Asia took a really big hit, and there have been a huge number of of layoffs, um, particularly at carriers such as Cathay Pacific and and others uh, in Hong Kong. And it really comes down to how strong were the balance sheets of these airlines before the crisis happened? And then how long can they sustain um, their entire operations and paying their staff as the crisis unfolds? Um, So for example, IATA says there's about 30 carriers in the world before the crisis that had strong balance sheets. And, you know, the rest of the 75% uh, of carriers out there that IATA has has looked at um, are are going to be struggling. Um, And and that's where the idea of uh, airlines calling for state aid comes from in order to be able to preserve these these jobs. Uh, So coming down to the UAE, um, Emirates has said that the majority of staff within the group uh, is is going to take uh, salary basic salary cuts uh, in the range of twenty five to to fifty percent, um, and that also includes the um, the leader of uh, the president of the airline, um, Sir Tim Clark, uh, who is scheduled to be leaving the airline in uh, leaving his position in June. Um, so everybody from from the top to the bottom are taking these cuts, with the exception of junior employees. Um, and that's a way to at least try to preserve staff, try to preserve human resources, try to preserve kind of the soft power of airlines so that when when the recovery does come back, they're able to mobilize their people, they're able to mobilize the talent and the skill to um, to, to have the workforce come back and, and uh, pick up again. Dean, and then if we could just talk about maybe one of your favorite rivalries on your beat, Boeing and Airbus. And Boeing said today that they would be idling 70K workers in its, at its Washington plant. Meanwhile, Airbus has freed up $32 billion through credit and cash outflow clamping down. Can you talk about what the actual manufacturers are doing and what's going on there? Sure. What you, you've said is, is right. The, uh, the crisis has not just hit... Um, the airlines, it's um, sectors that are related to the carriers as well. And, and the first among those is obviously the big manufacturers, uh, Boeing and Airbus, simply because the airlines are no longer able to take delivery of new airplanes. Um, and so there is very intense negotiations going on between the manufacturers and their airline customers to defer some of those deliveries uh, and also to reschedule um, payments. It has meant that Boeing is going to shut down the the plants in um, Puget Sound where it manufactures uh, its wide-body jets, things like the 777X, for example, its its latest and newest wide-body aircraft. Um, and, and that's a huge impact for the communities there and for the people who work um, at those factories because Boeing is pretty much the, the single biggest um private employer in in that area and they employ about 70,000 people there uh, so so this is this this has a huge effect people who can work from home are, are being told to do so um, 
and 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 others who have to come to the to the factory there's there's certain um programs in, in place to to manage that and they're they're being uh given some paid leave uh during this um two week period in which the factories will be closed as well as you pointed out you know airbus is is trying to schedule um loans so that it can carry on with its operations and they have also recently said that they would close down some of their operations in in France and Spain uh but as of March 23rd uh they were expecting a partial uh reopening so the entire chain of the air aerospace industry is taking a hit whether we're talking about plane parts suppliers the airlines themselves the aircraft manufacturers and all the industries that are directly or indirectly related to them uh for example whether we're talking about tourism hospitality um food and beverage it has a knock on effect uh throughout um dina camel the national aviation correspondent thanks so much for being with us we'll let you go i know you've got a lot to be reporting on and i'm sure we'll talk again in the coming weeks thank you mustafa thanks for having me so as as we're saying aviation is going to be one of the first industries to really feel the effects of the of the pandemic but we do expect of the next few days and weeks the econ- economic data to be grim as a result of that it's not exactly an even spread i mean there's a crunch on food supply chains even farms are under pressure to get uh, supply out um us states uh, minnesota vermont michigan they've classified grocery workers as essential workers so some parts of of, of economies are 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 really working flat out and others have come to a sudden stop but in general i think we're all looking to the us now not just for the big rescue package i was talking about at the beginning of this episode but also how the how the pandemic uh, plays out there because we're kind of a, a tipping point aren't we kelsey yeah it really appears so and the two largest economies in the united states the state of new york and the state of california are both seemingly feeling the pandemic most acutely uh New York especially governor Andrew Cuomo there has been giving daily addresses because he's really advocating for a lifeline from the federal government and they are under-resourced for what they're going to need it's said right now that New York is probably the epicenter of the outbreak in the country and a recent report found that the virus incidence rate is about 5 times the national average so really it's a it's just it's so dynamic there and it's it's stressful across all systems. Well, you mentioned Governor Andrew Cuomo. This is what he said this week. This is not a short-term situation. This is not a long weekend. This is not a week. Uh the timeline nobody can tell you. It depends on how we handle it. Uh we'll manage that capacity rate, but it is going to be 4 months, 6 months, 9 months. that was uh new york governor new york state governor andrew cuomo um and it begs the question of of when when will things get back to normal um you know the in the in the states the, the conversation is we want the economy working as soon as possible we don't want to create unnecessary consequences even if we are dealing with a public health outbreak so if we look at china it shows that sort of 10 weeks after lockdown you could start to unwind restrictions um hong kong is another example of that sort of they have taken a step back in terms of new infections when they try to loosen things up so we don't really know i think we will really have to watch
But I think what's interesting is what's different from the crises of 2008 and 1929 is if you excuse the expression, this is much faster spreading economically. Um, that, that's what it seems like, rather than the way it played out over months and, and even years in the past. Absolutely. I mean, what we're seeing is it's spreading like a virus. And so we're holding in tandem again, the public health response in tension with our economic response. And right now, President Donald Trump in the last 24 hours has said that he's not looking at months for recovery. He really wants this to be weeks, which is really in direct conflict with what Governor Cuomo was saying in terms of he actually said this could be four four months, it could be six months, it could be nine months. In China's case, you know, Wuhan public transportation is back up and running. And the two-month threshold, you know, we could look to that as a hopeful marker. But they also went into lockdown much sooner in the outbreak spread than the United States did. I mean, I, I'm th- I'm thinking about sort of, you know, how, how should governments respond? And there's been a lot of stimulus measures put out there, both in this region and elsewhere, which is exactly what's, what's needed. But sure. we, we should learn. We should learn something from two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, and that is that we shouldn't um, put stimulus measures that only think about shareholders, that only think about management in corporations. There should be strings attached for jobs and workers um, because of the nature of this kind of crisis. Um, you know, this whole idea of stakeholder capitalism that the World Economic Forum has been talking about. You know, that it's about more than just the shareholders um, and and the government. In, in any country now has an opportunity for immense amounts of borrowing at historic low rates. And so really there, there's, there's, you know, if the politics doesn't get in the way, it's very naive for me to say that, we could really put something in place that for the long term, no matter how long this public health crisis lasts, could actually be very, very good for us. I mean, I don't want to look too far down the line because we really aren't out of the woods yet at all. But certainly some of the decisions being made today we could be living with for many, many years in, in economic and financial terms. Sure. And, you know, Mustafa, I would take your naivete any day. It's, it sounds nice. And <laughs> I do think, you know, a decade on from the financial crisis, the average consumer, the average citizen of the world is more attuned to this idea of it can't just be about shareholders and it can't just be about the executives. And that's not something that I think we were talking about as aggressively in the last lessons learned than we are here. You know, it really is the conversation that's sticking up the $2 trillion economic package in the United States right now. So I think it's it's both the source of some gridlock, but it's it's part of the conversation. And I'm, I'm for one, heartened by that. Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor, thanks so much for joining me down the line for this episode. Uh, we will speak again. Mustafa, good to be with you. Before we finish, Here are the other stories you need to know about on thenational.ae. SoftBank will sell up to $40 billion in assets to buy back shares and reduce debt. Saudi Aramco said it was prepared to meet all commitments towards its customers, even as countries close borders to contain the coronavirus pandemic. And Sol Kersner, founder of the company that built Dubai's Atlantis and one and only resorts, has died at the age of 84. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, both joining us remotely for this episode. And thank you all for listening wherever you are. Do join us again next time.